1: I'm here with Iron Man champion, Iron Man seventy-three champion, and YouTube vlogger Haley Chura. Haley, you were like totally—you left a, out podcaster. Oh, yeah, a podcaster. I'm also a podcaster. Wait, you were holding <laughs> out on me last week when I was talking about needing content or like all the content I've been using on my treadmill and runs and stuff because I just saw a new YouTube video dropped with the one and only Haley
2: Chura today. So this is gonna like fill. Minutes yeah, well, time I'm so excited because it wasn't out last week. So I, yeah, it just happened like a few hours ago, and I, I, yeah, I hit like post on the like announcement reel, and then I haven't actually looked at my phone since then because I had to hop on the bike and do some other things. But um, it, uh, yeah, I'm like an influencer now. If you didn't know. <laughs> So set the scene. There was already a YouTube. Okay, there was actually already. There's a ten year old YouTube channel. I didn't even realize. I have a video from ten years ago on that channel that has twenty five hundred views. On it's like a cartoon on how to give a fraud interview. And I actually watched it and it wasn't bad. I was like, this is a. I don't know. Maybe things have changed in the last ten years. So I guess it probably shouldn't be giving out accounting advice now. But I was like, oh, I'm like old me. I'm like who gave advice on how to give fraud interviews did a pretty good job.
1: I have some pretty funny YouTube videos. I think I'm sure under my YouTube channel too, from, I think because there was like a, that, like little, well, I don't know about accounting YouTube, but there was a time when I, I thought I might have the skills to do something in YouTube. And then I quickly realized that like, no, I just like to shoot really bad video and like put that raw on YouTube and that's not going to get me anywhere. So, but I think there is some good stuff probably from my dad's like camera phone or something too, at some point, but um, tell us what's episode, is it episode one? Are we
2: calling it yes. episodes? Okay, sure. I mean, there might this- only be one episode, but, um, <laughs> no, I, hopefully I'll get a couple out of this. So the one is the first episode is out. It's just mostly an intro to me. So hopefully it's all old news to you. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, me pretty well, but it was mostly just, uh, me talking to the camera and then, so it is Gerard Hubbard, who people might know as pro on training on, uh, Instagram. He has worked with Sam long, Matt Hanson. I met him through Matt Hanson. And honestly, this is like a project that came because, um, clash Daytona. I made a little bit more money than I expected and they paid us like incredibly fast. Right. So we got paid way faster. So I didn't have time to like spend the money before I got the check. And so I just had this check and I was like, I'm going to invest it in my entertainment, (laughs) but, uh (laughs) um, So I like put this money out there and I was like, okay, what can this get me? And, um, and so Gerard and I kind of make a little bit of a plan. So he came out here for like two days in February and she did some photos and video of me swimming, biking, and running. The swimming video is very incognito. It actually turned out pretty well in the video, but that one, we didn't quite have the right permits. So oh, okay. <laughs> that one, you know, hopefully this doesn't get me kicked out of the pool, but, um, But no one else is in the video. I like it very much looks like I'm by myself. So that was good. But, um, uh, and then Alyssa, this was like, it has been an experience, which is what I wanted out of it. Like, we have talked to so many people who have launched YouTube videos and done, you know, all the social media stuff. That is something I haven't really done. I feel like I'm on a little bit of the older age range of that. Like I was very into the blogging, have gotten to the podcasting. I'm like, does the world need more of me? Probably not, but yeah. we do. Well, I just want to know what it's like. I think it's kind of like, okay, I want to know what this is like. And like, um, just the experience of it a little bit. Like I am just curious and I am not in this as like a 10 year commitment. <laughs> It is very short term. Um, but I just wanted to see what it was like, unless people love it, and like I truly become influential. Um then you'll have yeah, you can get a sponsor for the for the vlog. That would be amazing. I know it'd be amazing, but no, we'll see what happens. I Gerard asked me, like, why am I doing this? And it was, is it to get more followers? And I was like, No, (laughs) why would I need more followers? It is more to showcase what I'm doing for my existing followers, which I I do kind of explain that in in the first video. And, And also just, yeah, I want to know what it's like. And I will be honest, it's a lot harder than I expected. Even me not doing any editing, me not doing any filming. I mean, it's like several different cameras. He brought a drone out. It was also very, very cold when he was here. So what you saw, the video that you saw, especially the outside stuff is like incredibly hard to get like for Gerard, like he was so cold and like, I'm a fairly cold hardy person. And like, it was, it was like, there's one, if you like watch closely, I am like trudging through such deep snow, but it's real. I mean, these are real routes that I actually do run. And he actually wanted to like film real workouts. Um, which also I found, I did not love, like I having a camera in your face while you're like doing yeah, I don't intervals think I really
1: like that. Well, even
2: no. the real on there, I'm like my face gross, but I'm like, okay, I guess this is what the people want. I don't know. I'm willing to like experiment a little and maybe put some less than flattering stuff on the internet. Cause I'm also very scared. Like, I'm very scared that I'm going to end up, you know, going and having these terrible races and someone will have filmed it all and put it on the internet. And I'm like, oh no. But then I'm also like, whatever, life will go on. I've had terrible races that weren't on the internet and they were still, (laughs) still made it. Or you think everyone's watching and no one is. or You know, I kind of use that projection sometimes. Like, I'm like, I remember, actually I can think of like uh, Coeur d'Alene in 2021 Mm -hmm. when I went by Lionel Sanders, who was having a very, very hard day and had a camera in his face. And I like, was like, oh man, that looks terrible and like making it even worse but actually I have a lot of respect for Lionel and like I had a lot of respect for him for finishing and in the moment I actually like took some like you know just sort of I've kind of felt just took some energy from that being like okay if he can keep going even that kind of situation then I feel good so like I can keep pressing and so maybe there's the value in that so <laughs> All, these are all the things I'm telling myself. You definitely don't um, need to
1: worry about how it looks because it's all really well done. It looks, you look like you look great for doing intervals on the bike. I, that was one of my questions. Like, is this a real workout or are you
2: like faking it? You know, like, no, it was okay. a real workout. And I actually like missed, I was doing like eight by two and a half minutes or something like that intervals, like really hard, which is not a workout I'm really good at. Like, these are the kind of like these short workouts are ones that like I frequently. Fail, and so it's also like even though it's only one person there, like I didn't make number eight, and I actually didn't even build like I wanted to. But number eight, and he's like, "What happened there? Your cage just dropped." And I'm like, "I blew up," and he's like, "Oh, like he couldn't necessarily tell." But I was like luckily was on number eight, but it's also it's just like I tried to like drown it out that there's like camera and all that. And then the other thing was like to get really cool shots, we had the garage door open, mm-hmm. and so it's like really cool, like the snowing yeah, looks really cool. neat but it was really cold. (laughs) It was really cold. And I'm like, only have one shot to really knock out this workout. And so I'm like, am I compromising my workout? Um, I think only maybe a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. I, and again, I think for me right now in my career, it's worth the experience that hopefully I can share this with other people. And like, I I say that, like, I want to make it more where you like, you don't have to be the world champion to like make your, you know, it, Interesting enough, maybe, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do, because <laughs> I was also thinking. I was like, "What if no one watches it? Like, what am my What are my fears that no one watches it?" And I was like, "If no one watches it, that's the same thing as not putting it out there." So I'm like, "Oh, that's fine." Yeah. Also, it's I do I think more.
1: I think we have a really valuable community with Iron Women and the feisty followers. I think you have a very valuable community with Dynamo. I think there's a lot of people out there who are going to appreciate having like more insight and a look into what goes on right behind the scenes, because I think, I think people make a lot of assumptions and social media makes it easy to make those assumptions. Right. So having a little bit more of a glimpse into like these kinds of lives, I think is great because the the reminders, I think for amateur athletes who have very tough situations too. Right. And are definitely grinding away and like doing that but I think it's important. You know, I think sometimes they like people can get in that mindset of the grass is always greener. Oh, if only I was a pro, Oh, you know, but like pros are working damn hard too. Right. And like really getting like putting things together to do what they do. So I love that. I love that. You're one of the people now kind of showcasing that. And I think it's going to be really fun to watch. And I am all for more content in cold months. So,
2: okay. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I think I think the video is 21 minutes long, which at first it was 25, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I talk so much. Like he had to like really cut it down. I feel I feel bad on the editing. There's a reason why I'm not doing this myself. Um, but I yeah, hopefully we'll see when it comes. But if people have ideas or things that they want, things that they want to know about, definitely write into our mailbag or put a comment on my YouTube. No, right into our mailbag. It's, Cause then it goes through Alyssa and it's more likely it will actually get answered. Cause I'm like me answering comments. I'm like, Oh my goodness. You are like hoping I'm, you know, sitting at like uh the right time at the right place. I don't know. I, yeah. Or maybe I can, maybe I'll like hire Gerard to answer the comments. <laughs> I need to figure that one out. I think, I think Sam might do that. So. I'll answer your YouTube <laughs> comments too. We'll
1: see how many you get.
2: Maybe that's it. <laughs> yes. Need someone else on the payroll, but Cowboy is heavily featured. So, as has been on my reels, and like, you know, I have learned that people love Cowboy, and man, I love Cowboy too. So, it makes me feel happy when he pops up there. Well, I wasn't too in too dire
1: straits for something to watch on the treadmill this weekend, Haley, because I had my last big, big long run of 22 miles before the marathon in three weeks. And aptly, like, time as it would happen. We got 12 inches of snow overnight on Friday and Saturday morning was my long run. Right. So that was exciting. And my plan was, so we had Matt's family actually in town and they were here for a ski weekend. And so because the weather was a lot, like the roads were a lot worse than we kind of expected, they weren't going to ski as far. They were going to go to the place that is like, easily you can make a route that's 22 miles away. Right. So I was going to go with them to Ooh. that ski place and then run home right like
2: the I only way back that. is like
1: doing that right and it would just like force me to get outside and like get myself home and like deal with whatever conditions you know and the roads were were okay um and then they came to plow our driveway the plowman, and he got stuck <gasps> and so then they spent an hour digging him out and then he was reversing down the hill and he like drifted off and got stuck again no. And then he just like walked away, he just left his truck and walked away. And we had no idea when he was coming back. We had no idea if there's a plan. So long story short, the, like tr- the car that could fit more people was stuck at the top of the driveway. And my little Subaru was at the bottom. So the skiers could still like squeeze in to the Subaru and get to the skiway, but I couldn't squeeze in there as well. So I, it was like, okay, I'm just going to psych myself up now for this long run out the door and like I I knew I could always turn around if it was like that slow and awful cuz I didn't want to just slog through my last long run, right? Like I wanted it to feel like I was just kind of like still had a decent cadence and was moving along, right? And so I was like I guess now I can at least always loop back if it's terrible and I'll jump on the treadmill. And I started going Haley and I, I felt great. Like from the start, my first mile was like 835. And I was like, dang, dang. I can move. Okay. In these conditions. And I will say though, that I would not have made it in, I think I averaged like 845 overall. And I could not have come close to that in those conditions. Had I not been wearing my VJ shoes, they make a model called the ice heroes, and they have studs built into the shoes, um, just like little tiny, like if you get nano spikes, I think a lot of, so not like yak tracks, but like nano spikes, I think Catula makes those. They're like very, very tiny. You can put those over your shoe, but these are really nice because they're built in. It doesn't move around. And it's like, it's I find it way better for my feet to have them in the shoe like they do. And I had never run, I don't think I'd ever run more than five miles in these shoes before. And I was like, you know, I, I need them for the whole run, but Um, it like, it was, yeah. I mean, I felt like I had great grip on the like icy surfaces, the downhills with the slippery snow. I still felt really good. It like gave me a good boost of confidence to like do that long run, even at like a respectable pace in those conditions, you know? And, um, it was, so yeah, I feel, I felt good about that. Um, but definitely if you live in winter climates, the BJ shoes, ice hero is, A lifesaver. Yeah, I really wanted your sanity.
2: I wanted to hear how they compared to like how they felt different from wearing like nano spikes or micro spikes. Like, because obviously I wear those because I run a lot. Mm -hmm. I I don't run that fast. (laughs) I feel like in my uh, around here. So I was just like curious because you can feel those spikes. And then also, but I was curious if then they're built into the shoe, how does it's that feel definitely
1: different? better? Like I, I, when I've worn nano spikes, I can't really wear them for too long because I do feel like that extra pressure, especially under the ball of my foot, I feel like a lot. Um, and it squeezes like that top piece of the rubber kind of squeezes my feet a lot. Um, and I start feeling like Goldilocks. I'm like, it's too tight. It's too loose. You know, it's not just right. Like, you know, uh-huh. but when it is in the shoe, I do think it's, just much more like negligible. And so, um, I think it probably depends a lot on like the exact conditions you're running in, but I've definitely worn them for runs when I've had like clear roads, knowing I'm getting to do like repeats on a dirt Hill that like I'll need them for and stuff. And other than like the clicky clacky, you know, it's like, I don't feel like they're affecting my gait or like affecting my feet or anything like that. Um, cause it is like pretty unobtrusive with them built in. So we're going we to have to get your, your hands on some, for some Bozeman
2: winter running Haley. I know I ran like on a sheet of ice yesterday. I could have used them. I had, I had spikes myself, but I was not <laughs> running quite that fast. Um, I am curious, what is your cutoff? Like, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of learning to like embrace winter running a little bit more, but do you have like a temperature cutoff that mm, uh, I do? Yeah. And I, So
1: last winter was my first winter in real winter. And I was like, I'm going to run in any cold, but I do. And I was doing workouts in like zero or negative temperatures sometimes. And like, I definitely felt like that it affected my lungs. Like, I think it took my, a lot more out of my lungs. Um, and then I think it took a lot more out of my body to recover than I like intended for a specific workout to do. So now I, I won't do a workout probably I would say below 20. Like if it's like a hard breathe, hard workout, if it's below 20, I just, there's like, there's a treadmill, right? There's like another day, there's a different option. Um, if it's, you know, zero to 20, I, depending on the run, like I could consider bundling up and just doing like an easy 30 minutes, I would probably do outside. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely now am on team, like, just be careful. Right. Like our lungs are so precious. Right. And so, and I have read a few things cause I was trying to figure out like what my cutoff is. And I think science would say like below five degrees, you really don't want to do too much hard efforts. Um, but I was like, okay, well, you know, a little buffer on that because I think, I think it is a real thing that like, it just took a lot more energy out of me than I wanted. And like, I already give so much energy to try and run hard. I feel like because running hard is so hard that like, I don't want to give go into the well over one workout, trying to do it in the cold. Right. So I don't know, is that similar to how you
2: feel with that? Yeah. I do 10, 10 degrees Fahrenheit is my cutoff for like going outside. I would, I mean, maybe if it's super sunny and it was like below and I was going easy maybe, but it is, I just feel like my, (laughs) I don't have like goggles and my eyeballs just like, don't feel good. (laughs) Like that's like, I'm very lucky with the lung stuff. Like I don't, the cold air doesn't usually bother me, but like, I'm like, I don't want my like eyeball fluid to freeze.
1: (laughs) I know. I have started doing some balm on my face, like, um, like protective balm or whatever. And I Uh think that makes a good difference for like, cause it used to be like my nose and my cheeks would get so cold and my chin, you know, but if I remember to put the face balm on, that helps a lot, but my eyes are sensitive too. And I don't like when they water and then I like, can't see cars. And then it's like, you know, and it's just like, I don't know.
2: And I'm like, Max, just lead the way. (laughs) Yeah. Yesterday I ran off the bike and it was like a deceptive. I think it said it was like, it was over 20, which I was like, okay, I'm going to go outside. Like, and it looked fine. And it was cold, but it was like, oh, no big deal. And I got seven minutes into my run and this like blizzard blew in. And I was like, what just happened? It was like sideways snow coming at me. And like, I could barely see like two feet in front of me and i was only running for 35 minutes so i'm like okay i'm not going to like abandon this run right now i'm almost a third of the way done you know i'm just like what in the world and so i finished it but i i have a pretty good cold tolerance but i was miserable oh. afterwards so i just kept telling myself actually i was i was like man i wish someone would catch this on youtube but there's no one i know in the world who would be out here doing this stupidness right. <laughs> besides me so I can't ask anyone. Actually, there were people out there, people and dogs oh always, God. but none of them had a camera. But, um, even I wasn't going to like, I was like, maybe I should stop and take a picture. Cause this is like just wild. And, but I was like, no, I'm not stopping. I am not like taking a phone out anything like that. I just need to get home. But, um, but I was thinking for Miami for this week, I'm like, okay, I can, you know, handle adversity extremes. It's going to be extreme hot. There are more likely. Um, but I'm like, maybe there's something about pushing through this moment right now that will pay off when it's warm in Miami or that's what I'm telling myself. So
1: yeah, oh no, for sure. Mental toughness. I can't wait.
2: We'll see. But yeah, sometimes it's just, yeah, the weather, the temperature can be misleading, but Mm -hmm. I'm always curious about people's cutoffs. So thanks for that. And Haley, we have had
1: some people writing in to fill up our mailbag, which is very appreciated. Uh, People can continue to do that. Write your questions into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we have a question today, Haley, from Lindy Lou. Lindy Lou, I love the name. So I just might keep saying Lindy Lou a lot during this question. Lindy Lou wants to know. Um, She's a new runner. She just started running back in October and she started at one mile built up to four miles and currently can run two miles at a 1030 pace nonstop. So that's awesome for, you know, you've already built up to that. And so now she has built up to doing a run walk of running 10 minutes, walking two. Um, And when she does that, the heart rate seems to really go up. She's thinking it's into zone five or maybe four, um, she's not entirely sure potentially because she's only using the wrist heart rate monitor, which we've talked about. And she knows, I'm sure from us talking about it, isn't always entirely accurate, but she gave some good information here that she feels like there's a lot of pressure in her head. Her face gets very red. Um, so those are two good indicators that her heart rate is very in one of the higher zones, right? That's like what happens when you're doing that. So, um, her question is if she should work more on slow zone two run walks, but she doesn't feel like she can run much slower because she's not very fast to begin with in her words. Um, her goal is a 10 K and she doesn't want to like, you know, risk kind of pushing her heart too much. So this is a great question, Lindy Lou. And we have a lot of layers to kind of get into this with you. Um, Haley, do you want to, do you want to start?
2: Yeah, I think the easiest way to bring your heart rate down would probably be to add more walking. So I would suggest like, instead of 10 minutes w- running, 2 minutes walking, like maybe 4 minutes running, 1 minute walking or 4 minutes running, 2 minutes walking, whatever it takes to like get your breathing under control, your heart rate lower. Um that would probably be the first thing I would suggest. And um because 10 30 11 30 pace is actually pretty quick, I think. Totally is. Like yeah. Yeah, if you watch my YouTube video, that is me going <laughs> 12 minute pace. <laughs> so and you know and I hope to run or you know, close to six minute rate pace this weekend. And so I do think there's value in um in going slower just to have help build volume. And I'm not saying that just because you're in snow, I run, you know, I like run, you know, s- several minutes per mile slower than my race pace on a perfectly fine treadmill frequently. So Mm. I think it's just about keeping, you know, the effort really low so that you can add volume safely.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, the treadmill, if you feel like you really can't run slow, that's one of my favorite things that people say that they like can't run any slower because I'm like, Oh, we can, we can have a slow running contest here because I love to run slow. And so, the treadmill is a great place to kind of work on that. Um, because it might also be like a muscle strength kind of thing, because you do, you still have to like keep good form when you're running slow. And so a lot of times if you haven't developed that, like you, you tire actually like quickly from that. And like, you just think it's kind of useless and stuff. So working on it in like a controlled environment on the treadmill is a great place because you could go to five miles per hour. Right. And so then that's 12 minutes, right. Go slower 4.8, 4.6, and kind of just like work on those ranges of paces. And it's, it will do so much for your running career down the road. If you work on that pace development now, um, and have like the ability to, you know, like muscularly that you could run slow, you can like Feel what it takes to run a little harder and things like that. Right. So, um, I think that just as a runner, as you develop is going to be very important. Um, and I agree with Haley, I think just more frequent walk breaks, right? Like four minutes, five minutes play with that. Um, and just, you know, find that repetition where your heart rate stays low, your face isn't getting red, right? Like you're, just, you're feeling like you could have a conversation. Um, that's always a really good indicator and just don't worry too much even about like what the pace says it is when you're at that level, right. It's going to be what it's going to be. And it's very important for you to do runs at that pace. So whatever pace it is, it is right. That's where we are right now.
2: Yeah. Get to your 10 K get that, you know, that distance goal done. And then, and then you can kind of pivot your goals a little bit to like, okay, how do I do that a little faster next time? But I, I like that treadmill trick. Cause I also use that a lot when I was coming back from injury, like getting on the treadmill and running at a a slower pace to make sure I was keeping it at a slower pace and it does work. It does work. So, um, and it's nice because if something does hurt or if you needed a longer break, you can always like stop and, um, (laughs) you're at home or you're at the gym or you're at a friend's house or something. So that is one nice thing about it. But, um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for writing in Lindy and, but keep us posted, you know, on your, on your 10 K journey. And Haley, are we, are we ready for the interview? Yeah, let's
1: do it. This one is very exciting. So as an ultra runner, I am very excited that we have Lucy Bartholomew on the podcast this week. She took the ultra running world by surprise when she was 15 years old, I think 15 or 16 in 2013, she was running races. She was landing on the podium Ultra running races. And in 2018, she secured her place in those history books as the third female at the Western States 100 mile. Throughout the past few years, we have all been really fortunate to watch Lucy develop as a runner and as a person through her social media. But her rise to the top has not always been all highs. And the lessons she has learned along the way, she's been sharing with her audience and are timeless for people of any age. So, all of this would certainly qualify Lucy to be an Iron Woman. But why are we talking to her this week? And it's because Lucy raced Ironman Western Australia last December. She came in fourth in her age group and secured a spot to the Ironman World Championships in Kona. And Lucy will once again be entering history books with a UTMB Kona double just six weeks apart. And if you don't know what UTMB is, look it up. It's a very prestigious 100-mile race in France. So we talked to Lucy all about this, her plans in triathlon, how she plans to approach this double, and it's a really fun conversation. I think we're really lucky to have it. So that will be up next after a word from our sponsors. Hi, Lucy. Welcome
0: to the Iron Women podcast. Thanks for having me. I feel very honored.
1: So we're talking to you just about 10 days or so after a huge win for you at the Tara Weira 100-mile Ultra Marathon. This was your first hundred-mile race on a course other than Western States, and you blew it out of the park. You broke Camille Heron's course record by about seven minutes. You took the win in the women's field by over 40 minutes. And I was doing a little bit of reading in some of your post-race interviews. And I was surprised that like you it didn't seem like you had this on your schedule and did kind of a proper build, like targeting this race for a while but rather I read that you took your dad's slot in the race about a month before. So can you kind of tell us how that unfolded and how you decided you were ready to jump into a hundred miles on short notice? I feel like even I would think that's a little bit out there. So so tell us more about the decision.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I I first think it's important to flag, that Camille's Heron's record was on the original course and we had a course change, which made it definitely a faster year. So Camille's time is still insanely fast um but uh, even to be mentioned in the same sentence as her is a big honor um so my dad got into western states uh in december and he signed up for tatawira as kind of i think hedging his bets that he wasn't going to get into western and he just wanted something to look forward to he wanted to do 100 miles so he'd entered, uh, he then got in and being the man he is, he was like, oh, I can do both. And I was like, dad, you're 60, you should just focus on one and respectfully do Western States the, the uh, respect it deserves. So, you know, he was kind of going back and forth and these things aren't cheap and it's not easy to, um, you, you don't get your money back. So, you know, it kind of came down to, I was like, I'll get the entry off you and uh, just be the daughter and make. Make sure, that you don't do this race. Um, so, I took the entry in January. So, I did Ironman Bustleton in December. He then got into Western States that same day. I kind of saw how I recovered from the Ironman and then thought, I think I could pull it together to be ready for 100 miles. But I also had a big trip to the U.S. So I ended up being in Colorado in negative 17 degrees Celsius, just not in ideal conditions, kind of thinking, what have I got myself into? But I think that, you know, these kind of distances, it's so much more about your headspace. And I was just high on life. You know, I was so stoked for my dad getting into Weston. I'd had a good Ironman. I was having an amazing trip in the U S and I was just super excited to, yeah, to kind of break that hundred mile spell. I feel like I've had, um, and just do something other than Western States and have a good long day out running on dry trails that weren't covered in snow was just really nice. Do you coach your dad? I try to. <laughs> he's um, He will ask my input. And then what I've learned is that he will do the opposite. So I'm always like, that's a great idea. And, and then he's like, I don't think I'll do it. And I was like, good.
2: <laughs> uh, well, at least you took your advice on uh, on Tara, Tara Wera. Um, uh, wait, I am curious about your training in Colorado. I mean, how long were you going? Did you have the proper clothes? Were you able to borrow some some clothes? Because those are cold temperatures even for Colorado.
0: Yeah. I mean, I flew in, I went to Texas and raced at the Bandera. I was, um, crewing a friend who did the hundred K I jumped in the 50 K, but it was like a hectic experience. Cause I had to be done by one o'clock, which gave me five hours to do 50 Ks to get my lift to the airport, to fly to California. I was in California when it was torrential rain. Um, and just, that was just very, quite miserable it was very challenging then went to boulder where everyone's like oh it's this oasis it's always blue skies and it's never that cold and it was horrendous um so I didn't have probably I didn't have the, the right gear but I was lucky that I know enough people in the area um but it was I mean I just just shouldn't look at the weather you know I just people were talking Fahrenheit to me and they'd be like oh it's one degree and I was like oh that's not too bad and they're like Fahrenheit and I was like oh that's bad (laughs) so it was definitely a a challenging builder but I absolutely loved it I just loved I've never been in a winter wonderland like that obviously Australia never gets those conditions Um, I've never been at altitude for that long Um, and I just yeah I totally thrived in the conditions. I just loved it
2: and I was listening to your interview with Lindsay Hine on the I'll have another podcast and you had mentioned the possibility that if you won in New Zealand that you could potentially do the UTMB Kona double so so is that happening I mean like tell us about that whole thought process
0: yeah I mean it was a pipe dream going in it was kind of like you know you know, when I did Busselton Ironman, it was always just a one and done thing. And then I got offered Kona. And of course I was like, I'm not turning down Kona. Of course I'll do it. Yeah. And so I was super stoked on that. And then, you know, Tatawira, a big reason that the hundred mile race was as competitive as it was, it's usually, you know, the kind of the the bigger sister but the less competitive race to 100k because everyone's trying to get into western states but a lot of people needed to race the 100 mile because the top two or three get into utmb which is now really hard for elites to get into so we had a lot of americans coming across trying to get 100 miles in early to qualify for an august race at utmb and i was kind of like you know it's really competitive and i really haven't had like the perfect build but you know, if I got offered it, I would do it. And as of yesterday, I entered UTMB and it was the most ch- crazy thing because UTMB now falls on September 1st, which just mentally sounds a lot closer to October 12 than August 29th, I was just like, that month just changes my mentality of being like, well, they are really, really close. Um, and then it came, you know, it was like, congratulations, it's 190 days till UTMB. And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I have so much work to do. Um, but yeah, I feel like it's just such a privilege. These are two races, which are just incredibly challenging to get into. They're kind of the Olympics of both of these sports. And, uh, yeah, to do them back to back is something that I've, I've not heard of anyone do. And it's a very unique situation. And I just, I kind of love doing things that are unique. So I love it.
1: (laughs) And Lucy, you're coming at this from a relatively new, you know, background with multi-sport. Um, and so have you, have you thought about how you're going to kind of arrange things to balance training for the two is one going to you know take major priority what's your you know you haven't had too much time i guess to think about it but i'm sure it's been ruminating for a little bit
0: it has been and i think it's going to be super interesting one thing that i learned in the build up to my ironman was that my body loved the training and i think that after kind of 10 years of running just every day twice a day consistently i think my body and my mind just love doing two sports cycling and swimming where I don't have expectations. I don't have comparisons. And I really am just super grateful when I've survived them. You know, I do a new workout in swimming and I'm like, oh, my God, that was amazing. I did that. And cycling's like, oh, I, you know, I navigated these my cleats yet again. Like it's that those are the small little wins that I'm kind of pulling from these sports. And also they're two non-impact sports. So my body just gets a bit more of a rest. Um, So what I think is that regardless of if I was doing Kona, In the build up to UTMB, I would be doing a lot of cycling anyway. And swimming to me is more of a a mental health uh, thing. It's just the quiet and the peace of the water I love. Um, So I plan to kind of just implement them like a lot of cycling in the Alps. I'll be doing a lot more climbing Mm -hmm. for the UTMB and then doing running in the mountains. So I'll be based in Europe. And then after UTMB... I will just cycle and swim my way to Kona. Like I will barely run, maybe just off the bike a few times, but really protect the stoke of my enthusiasm for doing both more so than trying to get 1% fitter in that time. It's just going to be more about being like, let's just absorb what UTMB was, however that day plays out. And then just kind of do the other two sports which are seen as recovery but they'll still be of training to me because there's I'm still so new at them both and uh and then just get to the start line of Kona just you know frothing to go and to to put it all together
2: so does it is it going to be where UTMB is more the focus and then Kona is the like cherry on top or or I guess you'll see how it plays
0: out I think I'll definitely see how it plays out. I've always thought that for UTMB, I would do it once as kind of like a course recce and just get, get to know the course and then once racing it. So what I kind of see is that this is a great opportunity to not go to the well in the race, to see the course, get a feel for it. Um, And like something like Kona, which is, you know, it's a, it's not my profession to do Ironman and triathlon. I feel like that's the one where I I would squeeze out my potential because I've got nothing after it. It's kind of like that marathon at the end of Kona will be where I will, you know, take my body to the place where it can uh, get its most out of it and see what happens. You will
2: (laughs) I'm like thinking about this. I had so much anxiety when I heard you say that you're going to do both. And I've never I've never run utmb but i've done kona and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> it's hard but um i'm excited to see someone try this i think it's going to be really exciting for all of us endurance sports fans to to watch you do it and it sounds like you have a really good plan
0: i just think it's the age-old question you know like i feel like everyone draws parallels and they've asked me multiple times of what is harder an Ironman or 100 miles And I kind of go back and forth. Like I found the Ironman super challenging because two of the sports are not my forte. And I spent a lot of emotional and like mental energy just on trying to like find myself comfortable. Whereas like running a hundred miles is doing the one sport I know and I'm tried and true. My body knows how to do it. Um, So I would say currently an Ironman to me is more intimidating and more challenging but I think wait, something like- wait,
2: Alyssa, do you agree? Cause you've done both. I'm. I have done, yeah. I, I mean, I, I
1: find a hundred miles of running to be, to be more intimidating for sure, because it's, you know, what it takes, like you just to know physically what's going to have to go on to like, keep going. I, an Ironman to me is like, so stimulating because you get to, you know, you get to change the sports in a matter of just a handful of hours. Right. Um, at the most. So, I, I don't, yeah, I think for me, I would, I would lean towards that, but I also wouldn't say that running hundred miles ever
0: came as naturally for me as I think it does for Lucy. <laughs> I also think like Tatawira being the course change was that we did this loop twice. And so we, we ran from the start to the finish, turned around, did a 60 K loop, went back to the finish, turned around went, and did that loop again. And, you know, whilst I was out there, I was like, oh, this is so much harder than an Ironman because mentally, but I was like, that's just because of the structure of this course, like to do something twice, to go to see the finish and be like, oh, I'm just going to turn around and go out for another seven hours. Um, you know, that was more challenging. So it's just, it ebbs and flows, but UTMB will be like, you know, minimum 24, 25 hours, which I've only ever done the most I've run for is 19. So it's going to be you know a huge step up um, and just a, a lot more of a slog than a run. Um, and that's why I think that it's possible to not destroy yourself if, uh, you know, you use your poles well and you mainly if you get your nutrition going in, that's going to be the key to kind of coming out the other side and probably still being stoked about a uh, however long an Ironman is going to take me on Kona. I don't want to take you that long. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what have you found for the differences in recovery, I guess, specifically like Iron Man versus hundred mile? I think we might also might agree on this one.
0: <laughs> oh really? I would say that the Iron Man beat me up. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I found I even find like a road marathon. I am just my quads and are cooked. And just because it's the same muscles being pounded for the marathon, obviously you're sharing the load. But when I finished Ironman Busselton, I completely lost control of my legs. I staggered down the red carpet that everyone was telling me to enjoy. And I don't remember really much of it at all. Um, And I've never had that in a hundred mile races. And I honestly think it was just the cumulative of fatigue from the swim to the cycle, the changing of muscles, but still like digging into that well Um, and just not really knowing how to manage that fatigue building up um whereas 100 miles I mean I was back running I finished on Saturday at 9 p.m and then I went for a run on Tuesday morning and totally fine the only thing I've got is a a little blister on my toenail. That's like a little bit painful. And dad says, that's just like the world giving you a sign to just stop. <laughs> like It's the best thing you could come out with is a blister, uh, just to make sure you don't put your shoes on too many times. <laughs> would you say the other way? I would
1: definitely say the other way.
0: I mean, I've, I've raced
1: Ironman back-to-back weekends, um, you know, seven days apart. And I, I find, I do, Know during Ironman season, I would do quite a bit of training on pavement to like get ready for that pounding, I think. But yeah, I think I was never able to like run hard enough in the Ironman marathon to beat my legs up like running 100 miles would. So, um, I think I was just able to like feel you know rebounded from that much easier. So, it's so interesting how different it can be.
0: Yeah, I didn't do enough pavement running. I was like, if I'm gonna run, I'm gonna do the thing I love, and so I ran like so much in the hills and on the trails that when I saw Bustleton's course which is just the bay front and it was like eight out and backs I was like sorry what <laughs> like, talk about mentally challenging to see the turn off to the finish line eight times and be like that's not for me not for me and seeing the elites pull off and be done and you're like oh my gosh I have ages <laughs>
2: oh that is hard hard. and then do they have like the kilometer signs where it's like already like it's like 40 kilometers but you're only at like 7k yes (laughs) yes
0: Yes, they do they're like oh 28k and i was like no man i'm not at that (laughs) um, but i found it so it really highlighted to me how optimistic like an ultra runner is because i was like it was kind of four out and backs each way And so I was like looking at it and I was like one out and back each way is the course recce, the second one brings me to halfway, the third one's shit, and then the fourth one's the last one. And I was trying to explain to this woman who was like really having a hard time wrapping her head around the fact that she was going to be doing this for the next four hours. And she was like, yeah, see, I just don't think of it like that. And I was like, you've just got to be more, you got to be optimistic. You know, like it's one of the things that ultra running has taught me is you just got to look for the small wins out there and uh, break it down into achievable chunks. But yeah, it's uh, it's super challenging
2: incredibly good advice from maybe an Ironman rookie but obviously not an endurance sport rookie but we do want to talk to you a little bit more about how you got into triathlon we understand this was kind of a a project for you that was delayed a little bit by COVID but like growing up did you swim and cycle at all
0: and was there always an interest in doing triathlon I I swam and I cycled my dad he works at a lot of the pools he kind of was a manager of YMCA in Australia so we were always kind of he was a lifeguard there so we would always be in the water and swimming was kind of yeah fine for us um cycling was something that I never really got around um and mainly it just comes from you know I had enough kind of flat tires and something would happen to the chain and I was like I just don't like relying on a machine that I don't understand how to work it um but I used to do like we had in Australia the Wheat bix triathlon and I remember the swim got cancelled and I was very stoked about it I was like you know I'm definitely more of a land animal um, and so that was good but you know, we always watched the Ironman um, on TV and it was always something that dad wanted to do. And I guess him wanting to do it made me want to do it. Um, And then when COVID came along and we got locked down, I kind of thought, oh, cool. Like, this is a great opportunity to race in Australia. I've done a lot of the trail races, but I saw Busselton, Western Australia, Ironman, And I thought that, you know, I could do a lot of cycling indoor on a trainer and get the hours that I needed, whereas I wasn't really able to do the hours of of running that I would need for ultras. Um, And so it seemed like a really good idea until Western Australia kind of became like a separate country to the rest of Australia and wouldn't let anyone in or out. And so the whole thing kind of got prolonged. And I was working with Ironman on this project. They kind of um, had pitched to me the idea. I was said yes, so we were kind of working together. And then when it got moved to 2022 last year, I was kind of like, oh, it's not great timing because it falls in with my international racing, like racing is back. I've got Western States. I kind of see racing hundred miles in June. This is me then was like June and uh, June and December are way too close. Now you listen <laughs> to me and I'm like, oh yeah, September, October, no problem. <laughs> um, but I was kind of like, oh, I don't think this is like going to really work out, but you know, it was kind of the universe. You know, it was helping me in a way because when Western States went really badly and actually ended at 50 Ks for me and I kind of really fell out of love with the sport of ultra running and was having a hard time mentally to then just switch gears and just cycle and swim and just run really minimally um, was the best thing for me mentally, physically, emotionally, and like sustainably for me to be back in the sport. Um, so then I got to line up in December and do Busselton and had, you know, one of those days where it was just, it was so fun. I just had so much fun out there. I loved that. I was a newbie I wasn't someone that people were watching like it, I wasn't an elite I was just a, an age grouper running in the little pink hats the starting and just um yeah it was just an awesome experience that really saved my year and saved my um my love for the sport
1: and so at the race um in December you did have a total time of ten twenty five. you had a 109 swim a 545 bike and a 320 run run you earned your Kona spot and was it that feeling of of being kind of just a part of the masses that stood out for you? Or was there anything, you know, you said going down the red carpet wasn't too enjoyable for you. So was there any other moments through the day that kind of made you pause and like really take in that first Iron Man experience?
0: Yeah, I mean... there was just so much new stuff happening on that day you know like I'd never swum with people I'd never swum in a group and so to to run into the water I mean it's lucky that Bustleton is just wave like little wave starts so it wasn't too overwhelming that everyone was going in and just having at it um but I just found that super kind of fun and um you know apart from people touching my feet which I kind of have a thing about um that was a it was just a, a really cool experience and then I think getting on the bike was just, I was so in awe of people and I've never, I mean, I did so many things wrong on that day. And I think that this, that's the cool thing about, and I, what interests me with Kono is I really want to right those wrongs. So things like I just clipped TT bars on the day before the race, because I saw that everyone had them and I was like, oh, it might be nice to like change my back position. So I'll just put them on. And I had no idea that there is like a science to how you actually put them on and the, the, how far apart they are and how forward and like my size and shoulder structure and flexibility was a thing. And so, you know, my position is not right at all, but it was nice to just kind of like go onto my elbows, come up onto my hands and, It was really windy and I really struggled with like bike maneuvering but to see people because of the course was just loops um you know of all ages all shapes all sizes all different types of bikes just powering and suffering and doing like getting it done was just like wow this is super cool I was passed by so many people and I just had nothing I was just like man you are amazing like this is so cool And then I just remember getting, racking my bike and just being like, that is the best feeling ever. Like I don't have to sit on that thing again for a long time and starting to run and just being like, my body just being so stoked. It was like, finally, we know what to do here. And just kind of finding that rhythm and running with so many people who were out there. And yeah, it just felt like, it was like my time to shine in the sport that I'm known for and that I do. And um, yeah, I mean, I just had, it was just the best time. I think it was more even the days before just asking people who'd just done one Ironman. I was like, you are an expert to me. Like, can you give me any advice? And I think it was just, you know, I'm so used to people asking me for advice that I just loved the tables turning and being like, Oh, like, that's how you eat on the bike. And that's what you should do. And, you know, this is these are kind of like little tips and tricks that, you know, they it seemed obvious to them. But for me, it was kind of revolutionary. And I just thought of them all day. Um, so super fun. Yeah, I loved it.
2: What about your mindset going into this? I mean, it seems like you kind of enjoyed being newer, but you are someone who's seen as a professional, who's always, you know, going for the win in ultra running. And all of a sudden you're in this event where you very likely won't win and you don't know a lot. And yet you also have Ironman like filming you. So you have a lot of attention. I mean, was there any like fear that came with that, that, um, you know, that it, it just, you weren't quite in your element, like you usually are.
0: Yeah I think for me I've made it very clear to myself and to my Ironman and to anyone who would listen was that I was there to like tick it off my list of bucket things that I wanted to do um, and that I was doing it after a really rough year and that the best things that people could do it was not talk to me about like the results or you know even people talking up about Kona I was kind of like this is just so far out of my, I have unknown, like I can't even predict my finish time. Um, And I just was very clear in that, especially to Ironman was like, if anything, this is just going to be a feel like a good day for me to just build some confidence about standing on a start line again, because it was the first start line that I'd done since having Western States and kind of that was a lot for me just to handle let alone us in two sports that i've never done before and so i was able to compartmentalize and be like this is not your forte this is not your job salomon doesn't sponsor you for triathlon you're this is we, there's no expectations on you except for like you know, I always think it's such a privilege to do anything for the first time because it's a PB no matter what, you know, I was like, all I'm going to do today is set my PB and that way I can't lose. Like the only thing I can do is, is, is win my, my first time. And um, so I was kind of very headstrong in that. And I felt very confident in the fact that I could do it and just, you know, I would make the day of it, what I could and have the best time that I could. And as long as I had that that I was stoked and what anyone else had to say I feel like I've had people talk about my career for the last five six years and uh, there's been a lot of negativity around it and the direction I've gone so I just kind of was able to just be like people are going to say what they're going to say if I had a good time then I don't really care what they say um, because I'm doing this for me and not for them. You
1: mentioned before how tricky, you know, like you kind of gave up cycling for a bit because it was like flat tires and, you know, all sorts of things. You have to rely on the machine. Did, you know, what do you think has been kind of the biggest barrier or like, you know, learning curve for you getting into the sport? Would you say it's the cycling with just learning the machine that is the bike or have there been other really tricky parts for you?
0: Yeah, I would definitely say it was the bike for me. I mean, I also hadn't, didn't really train in open water. I don't live near the coastline. And so I did a lot of swimming in a pool. Um, which is great, but it also didn't prepare me for kind of like all the other elements that come with swimming in the open water with a massive group of people. Like I had no clue on how to sight, And so I actually swam so far away from people just because I didn't want to be like, I just wanted smooth water, just the pool to swim in. Um, so that was definitely something that was challenging. just having all the gear, like even the wetsuit was something that I was just like getting that on and off felt like the fourth leg of the triathlon. I was so exhausted just taking that thing on and off. Um, But for sure, the bike and the biggest thing for me was that I started trying to train for this in COVID where obviously everyone was very isolated. And I was like, how how would you do these hours? They're just so long and boring by yourself. And it wasn't until I kind of got the confidence to to put myself in a group and to go riding with people. And, you know, the cafe started opening up and there were stops along the way. I I was like, oh, I get it. You get the cake and the coffee, you get the conversations. (laughs) I can do these hours. Um, And so just kind of getting that confidence to ask people and to learn and to Yeah, to kind of just hold on to other people was just a a massive thing for me. The running was, yeah, I mean, it was never a problem for me. Um, But I definitely find the abundance of kit, like even traveling to the Ironman, having to travel with a bike, having my bag full of just wetsuits and goggles and caps and cleats and helmets and, you know, whatever. I, it was just very overwhelming when I'm used to just traveling with a pair of running shoes and a sports bra and I'm good to go. Um, so they were kind of like little things that just, yeah, kind of gave me a little bit of anxiety, but, um, you know, when you just, uh, kind of drop your ego and just ask someone like, how do I do this? It's amazing how many people want to help you. And, uh, you know, they want to, yeah, they want you to have the best time. And so that was really, really good.
2: Do you have a bike sponsor? Are you going to get a new bike for before Hawaii, like a time trial bike? Or are you just going to go with the road bike with the clip
0: on uh, aero bars? So I work, uh, Cannondale gave me the bike that, so initially Ironman gave me a Ventum bike because Ventum was the sponsor of Ironman. And I hated that thing. It was so uncomfortable and I couldn't run off it. And I was like, it would hurt my hip flexors a lot. And I was like, I said to them, I said this, like, it's a great bike, it's worth a lot of money, it's super fast, only if the user can go fast on it. And I was not doing that. And then I was like, and I need to be able to run because it's the only thing that I, that's where my forte is. So it's more important that I'm on a bike that I'm comfortable and can get off and run than something that like could potentially go fast um so then with the year rolling over Ventum was no longer the sponsor of Ironman and so they were like you can use whatever you want and I was like great I'm not using that I'm using my road bike and uh so Cannondale sorted me out with that super nice bike I love it um but they don't do TT bikes they did one but I don't think it's still being made So I'm kind of still navigating what I'm going to do with that, Um, whether I just stay with the uh, clip-ons or they did say they have maybe one of their old TTs floating about somewhere in the world. And I might try and get my hands on that.
2: Yeah. If it's working for you, I mean, I don't know. I don't know Uh, your run. Like you said, you got to be able to run off the bike. I am curious, is there anything surprising about triathlon that you've just like really enjoyed? I mean, is it the coffee,
0: coffee shop stops or (laughs) anything else? Oh, it's definitely the coffee shop. I think it's like, I really just love the the puzzle pieces of Ironman tra- triathlon tra- training. I love that, you know, I love that you can train two sports a day and, you know, not like really screw your body, like get really, really tired in that kind of impactful way. Um, but yeah, I just loved, I think the community as well. I think that those kind of hours that people are training, you can't do it alone, like it's, or you can, but it's way more enjoyable and sustainable. And so I think that once I kind of got into the community and I went to a triathlon camp, and apart from the language that I don't really understand, like the watts and the, the numbers, I'm always just like, you, we're all like endurance athletes are ninety nine percent the same. Whether you're running a hundred miles or doing an Ironman, it's the one percent of like, yeah, okay, like we triathlons are doing two other sports. Um, but I think that just kind of like connecting over the fact that we spend a whole day out doing all these, pushing ourselves to our limits and doing sport as hard as we can. Um, to to get a towel and and a medal is just kind of like comical in a way. Um, But I just loved kind of learning and being a part of the community and just, yeah, the training is super fun and I'm still doing it now, even though um, it's kind of the perfect way to recover from the hundred miles as I've just been swimming and riding and it feels kind of like I'm training for Kona and starting to get that confidence back in those two sports.
1: And are you, I I believe you're self-coached for running. Are you self-coaching for triathlon as well? Or do you have a coach or mentors or anyone that's kind of helping you
0: navigate it? I am self-coached for everything. Um, But I do have, yeah, it's kind of people that I've been able to bounce off. One of them being Hannah Wells, who's a New Zealand Um, she's racing Taupo Ironman next weekend and she's someone who I have kind of first of all I just stalked her Strava and got a gist for what she was doing and then I got the confidence to actually ask her and you know she met up with me after my 100 mile in New Zealand and it was so cool just someone who I admired was just giving me all this advice and she's trying to qualify for Kona as a pro and just yeah getting really excited so I've had people like that obviously doing the Ironman in conjunction with Ironman itself they've also had a lot of people that I could have reached out to but for me it was just I really wanted to navigate Bustleton on my own and just kind of see how I just really had to be intuitive and listen to my what my body could handle after just such a hard year in with running but I think in leading up to uh, UTMB and then Kona, I think it would be smart to have someone else just because I'm obviously dumb enough to think this is a good idea. So I need someone else who's like, um, let's just like do it properly if you're going to do something so silly. <laughs>
2: uh, I don't think it's silly at all. Um, I mean, if you have questions, Alyssa and I are also available. <laughs> Alyssa can also speak like ultra runner too. So I feel like that kind of helps. Like she can like put things in ultra running terms. Like, I don't know how you put Watts in ultra running terms, but I'm sure there's a way.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I think you'll be careful what you say. Cause I'll just be messaging you every day. <laughs>
2: Um, but we do want to ask about kind of just the hard times that you, you mentioned you've alluded to. Um, I believe you, you had surgery for uh, like cancer around your eye. Is that correct? Like a little over a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. And then you came back from that and then you did start in Western States, but you fell, hit your head and had a concussion. So these are pretty big medical events. Like How did you manage through that and also like keep yourself healthy, keep yourself training, but also let yourself recover?
0: Yeah. So I found out the eye was something that came out of nowhere. I remember just going to the doctor to get an iron test back. And, you know, I was like, so what's my ferritin? And I saw this new doctor and he was like, what's that on your eye? And I was like, oh, it's a sty. I've had it for years. Like, apparently you get it when you're pretty run down. And he was like, I, you know, he just happened to be like, one of the leading eye surgeons that was filling in that day, you know, it was one of those universal things. And then he was like, nah, that's not it. And, um, you know, within probably 24 hours, I was booked in for surgery. And it was kind of a gnarly surgery where they go in, they slice out the, ch- the cells and then they have to plastic surgery it back together. So it's a two day operation. And then I had my eye stitched closed and bandaged up for two weeks. So for that time, I was obviously doing nothing. My balance was off um, and I was just kind of walking around. I had my my dog with me who was just incredible. She knew that obviously my my left eye was no good. So she's always on my left and was, was able to kind of tell me if anything was coming and was like my little guard dog. It was seeing eye dog. It was so cute. Um, So kind of navigated that came out the other side. Um, Obviously I was very like fresh and healthy. Otherwise it was just having the surgery, but what really took a hit was more my confidence and like being a face of a brand and having something that's like in your, on your eye. And it still bothers me to today. But I was able to come back, did a few little small races, and then was gearing up for Western States. And so, Western States had been something that had been rolled over. I raced in 2018, I came third place, had this breakout race that, you know, I picked up 50,000 followers on Instagram. My sponsors just kind of increased the support, the how well known I was around the world. Um, Went back in 2019 and was my own worst enemy. I just, overtrained my body wasn't feeling super good didn't even want to be there and not wanting to be there at the start of 100 miles you're not going to want to be there at 100k of 100 miles um so i made it to the finish line purely through my family being my crew and my brother pacing me i just wanted him to to run with me finish that and was obviously not didn't come top 10 so i didn't have a spot back and i thought best thing ever. And then I got offered a world tour spot. And I, again, as you probably pick up with me, it's like, if if I got offered something, it feels like the universe being like, "Here's here's another shot. So I said, yes. And then COVID hit, it got deferred for two years. And so for two years in COVID, the 500 days we were in lockdown in Australia, that was my shining light, was Western States. Every day I'd wake up, we got one hour of exercise, we got a 5k radius, a three mile radius. We were able to run in and I was just like, okay, like this is what I've got to play with. I'm going to make this count and do what I can. So then to get to the start line of Western States, uh, last year, I was, you know, I felt pretty good. I was like, well, I've got this amazing opportunity. This is something I've been working for, for two years. And it's such a privilege to know you're in a race that's two years away. That race is usually a, you get a few months notice. Um, And so I had kind of like, I have no excuse not to be ready. And I felt really good. I was in a really good place mentally about returning to this race that I'd done really well in and sucked really hard in and was running along and just took a moment to, I don't know, look at the mountains. And I clipped my foot on a rock, smacked my head on another rock and just blacked out from what I remember. I then got up, moved forward to the checkpoint. And I just knew, like, I know that if they hear of you hitting your head, you're going to stop. So I kind of got through the checkpoint. They were more cleaning up the scars on my legs and arms and didn't really ask about my head so much. And it wasn't until that I left that checkpoint that I started to to throw up and to have the trail start to get really like it was moving um, and my vision was not so good. Got to the next checkpoint and, yeah, had the medical team make the decision to pull me. Um, and so it was just super super challenging and it just I think for me it was this race was kind of like the race that made me and now it was the race that broke me and um yeah it just kind of when you race 100 miles in western states it's kind of the only race you put into your calendar because it takes so much out of you it's middle of the year and so i just had nothing else planned and i had no fallback and i had nothing else and I ended up not being able to travel to Europe because I couldn't get on a plane for quite a long time. So I sat in the U S just being like, what am I doing here? Do I want to keep doing this? Like I'm, I trained so hard. I tra- showed up every day. I did what I needed to do. And I still just got a third of the way in this race. Like it just felt like a really hard, hard time, but um, you know, like I said, it kind of turned out because it meant that I had a big reset in the middle of the year and was able to, yeah, kind of pull it back and and do the Ironman instead and find a, a passion for something else and just realize that there's so many different sports, there's so many different ways to play and to push yourself. And, you know, one race doesn't define you, two races don't define you, a whole season doesn't define you. Um, and so just kind of shifting that mindset was probably what I needed. I just uh, could have done without the rock to the head because it was uh, a challenging, challenging time. Does well, I, the
2: win oh, and I just like the win? Your most recent win in New Zealand does that does that give you some validation that you are right on the right track? After you know, I know you had the Ironman, but I'm assuming you still love the hundred mile distance.
0: Yeah, totally. I think you know the win at Tadawira, and this is a race that I it was my first international race when I did the hundred K, and I was. 16 years old and I went across to Tutaawra so to come back and to win and to have people who are like my family they're the people who have signed my permission forms to do these races when I was super young it meant a, a lot and I really think that it's um, you know I didn't think 100 miles was going to be a part of my plan this year when I didn't get into didn't get through western states I was kind of done with that distance I thought maybe I'll just do more like 50k up to 100k maximum. Um, and so now to have done Tarawira, to have had a good race and now to be entered into UTMB, like, the, you know, you're just pivoting all the time. And um, yeah, it kind of now excites me again just to kind of feel like for 17 hours at Tatawira, I was able to stay really present, really positive, really confident and just kind of. I didn't care what people were thinking of me, what I looked like. I was just kind of, this is where I belong and this is what I can do. And uh, it was really special to just uh, put that back out there. And, you know, and it, it's it's probably not like the healthiest thing, but also like a middle finger to all the people who are just like such dicks along the way <laughs> um, and just kind of always giving an unsolicited opinion. It was just kind of like, you know, I have a, a new tattoo that I got at the end of um start of this year. And it says uh, says nowhere uh, twice. And underneath it, underneath the first one, it says it's underlined the word where. So it says nowhere. And then on the second one, it's now here. And it's the same word, but it's just how you read it and which word stands out to you. And the reason why I got the tattoo is because someone had commented on one of my things and said, this girl's going nowhere. And I was like, oh man, like, And I stared at this comment and I was like but then all I started to see was like she's now here and I was like man like I'm not going nowhere I'm now here and now I'm gonna go places and so it's just kind of like that reminder to me of like you are here you can go anywhere and it can pivot at any time and things are always changing Um, and so it felt really good to just be like now I'm here man yeah
1: and Lucy, you have, I mean, you've been in the sport for so long, you know, since you were a teenager. And I think that you, you share so much of the highs and the lows with your followers and with everyone kind of along the way. And, uh, you know, it does seem really hard, but I, this story is quite random, but I was kind of, you know, researching you a little bit more, getting ready to talk to you. And I don't know if you probably don't strike me as the type to be like frequently Googling yourself, but, um, there is a, a woman at, well, you know, a young woman at, um, Chico state university. So like a college in California here in the States. And she has you in her cross country, you know, college cross country bio as an athlete who inspires her. Um, and she, she talks about in the bio, how like Lucy Bartholomew fell in Western States and like has put her mental and physical health first. Right. And that's really inspiring to me. Like I'll send you the link so you can see it. Cause it is quite cool to see, because I think that, you know, there are haters out there. Right. But I think it's good to keep in check that you sharing what you do, um, has a lot more like really good effects on, on people, um, young women, especially, I think, um, who are watching you do all these things. So, um, just wanted to share that little tidbit. And I do have one more question for you. I would be so remiss to not to ask this before we let you go, but Um, the merger of Ironman with UTMB brand races has been big news in the trail running world. Um, you know, I found, I felt like more of my trail running friends were talking about it more than my Ironman friends were talking about it. And, you know, I think people like to focus on the differences in our communities. Um, but do you have like thoughts on this? And you've already said that, like, you kind of feel like endurance athletes are actually quite similar, right? So, you know, how are you seeing kind of, these brands coexisting.
0: Yeah, I think it's super interesting. I feel like the sport of ultra trail running is at a fork in the road, you know? It's it's getting it's booming. There's money in the sport, the people are making livings off it, and it needed a organization like Ironman to kind of steer that and to do it in a way that it, it has seen success and it it knows what's sustainable. And of course that's gonna piss people off. Um, And it's gonna, especially the OGs of the sport, the ones that, you know, it was 20 bucks to enter a race and you finished and you just got a high five and a a cup of tea and that was it. Um, And so I think that like, that's really challenging but the sport is able to do and pay people and create events of such high caliber because of the support of like an organization like Ironman. And like we've seen even in the Southern Hemisphere, Ironman has taken over UTA, Ultra Trail Australia and Tatawira. And the ability for it to kind of reach further into the world and become more widely known is due to the fact that Ironman has a name and it's a significant um, corporation. But it is a business and it is, you know, it is to make money. And so, you know, you've got to kind of look at it with like, It's uh, it's, it's such a challenging thing because you want the races to be organic and real and raw, but then if you want a quality race where there's, um, you're well looked after there's insurance, you're well covered, you're well supported. That's what Ironman can bring. And they can also bring like UTMB being a series, um, makes it very cohesive. It makes sense. But the only thing that really grinds me a little bit is that because you need to run 100 miles to qualify for UTMB, it really promotes over racing because I would never run more than Western States in one year. And now to do Tatawira and then UTMB, um, and then also it promotes so much travel. And so the general population don't have the money that the, sponsored Americans that came out for Tatawira have where it's just like oh I need to do an early season race to do this 100 mile race in August I'm just gonna quickly nip to New Zealand do this race um I think it promotes a lot of travel that's probably unnecessary and environmentally not sustainable and then also like the health of the athlete starts to come into it and I feel like there's too much pressure um especially like you know I think of like women or people with kids, but um especially athletes with kids. It's not like you can just like me just drop it a hat, go somewhere. So that's kind of probably my my biggest disappointment is the lack of like, yes, you want competitive races and you want to create um people to to have to qualify through your races to make more money from it. But um it doesn't think of the long term. And I think that, you know, living in Australia, we definitely feel like we only have two options to race in and um there's just not really that kind of support for the human side of it rather than just the the monetary side yeah do you have thoughts on it i you know
1: i a lot of what you said um i think it's it the biggest thing to me was the over racing like not being able to race 100k um you know as an option i think is going to be really hard um and I, yeah, I struggle to imagine how anyone really thinks that that's going to be very helpful for like the long-term of people in the sport, you know, but I'm, I feel like hopeful that I do think it kind of prodded some of the elite trail runners and more people to kind of start to be more cohesive and like, there's some more rumblings of kind of like, you know, an organization for that and things like that. So, which I think would be a good thing. And I think sometimes it takes something like that for people to realize like, oh, we got to get together and make sure like we are protecting ourselves. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, but I, there's a, I mean, I think there's a big difference between doing multiple Ironmans in a year and doing multiple hundred miles (laughs) a year, um, just on your body. And I think that is quite like, I yeah, for me to say that too, the amount that I would be willing to race, like when I was really, really racing, I think, um, yeah, it's 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 a little bit much. So I do hope people kind of follow their gut instinct on what's healthy for them, right, and not be too enamored with having to get there to sacrifice their well being.
0: And I think it's like, I think also it's really important to realize how much power the athletes have. Like UTMB is so highly regarded because of how much uh, emphasis athletes put onto it if we all went you know what let's go to this race that's down the road and not you don't have to qualify to get into and make that like we you can do that you know if there's like enough kind of push and power then brands will back the athletes to do that and I think that kind of realizing that like they can make all the rules they want and especially when it comes to their support for pregnancy for non-binary for all those kind of things you know, if you don't want to support that, don't, you know, like you have, and athletes have the power for that. And I think that, you know, if, if UTMB really does step on a lot of toes and create that kind of um, make people uncomfortable, then like it's, there's other races out there and that's the cool thing. Um, And so like, I, you know, that's always something that UTMB is something I've wanted to do but maybe I'll experience it and be like, that's not for me to be on the trails with 10,000 people seems excessive for that mountain region. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of something I'll experience it. I'll try it, but it's not a, you know, it's not the be all the end all. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be the pinnacle of our sport. We can choose what is. Um, and I think that's where like the organization that you're like speaking about where the athletes are coming together. I have been on calls with, um, the Pro Trail Run Association, which is like a new thing that we're kind of building up to talk about anti-doping, to talk about athletes contracts and just kind of like consistency as well as athletes health um, and just kind of like how can we as the pros of the sport create a better um ethical and side of things for them that will flow down to the general population that just get wants to enjoy it and they don't want to pay stacks and stacks of money and they don't want to be in a conga line for 100 miles they want to be out there in the mountains and have that sport where you get to stand on the start line with your idols and uh, traverse the whole course and spend a whole day out there and at the finish line have a beer and sit down and think about how amazing that was so I feel like Man coming in and these changes in the sport has rippled effect this really cool change and cohesiveness it doesn't matter who you run for we all want the same thing and that's a really beautiful thing
2: we love to see it so glad you're involved thank you so much Lucy for chatting with us today uh congratulations again on your big win enjoy the recovery and we are so excited for this like I guess, Northern hemisphere, late summer, early fall double that, um, we all get to witness. So best of luck to you. Thank you. I'll be reaching out. (laughs) Huge. Thanks to Lucy for coming on the show. I'm so psyched to watch her do this double the UTMB Kona double. I, again, not very common in our sport and I am excited to see what happens. And I think she, she's the right athlete to give it a try.
1: For sure. For sure. I think we're going to have to get Lucy back on after, um, the second Saturday in October to see what she thought about it all and see if she can give any tips to our listeners who maybe want to try something similar. So, um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be following along and thanks for Lucy to, for making the time and Haley race week for you. So we're going to let you go and safe travels down part one of this racing saga you have, um, safe travels down to Miami. I think you're linking up with our feisty teammate, Ella down there. So I look forward to chatting with you both and
2: tracking the race on Friday. Sounds good. Thanks, Alyssa. It should be a fun time. Yeah. Watch for Ella and myself out there, no live coverage, but we'll be on the tracker and we will definitely be chatting about it in next week's show. So appreciate that again, our I think I forgot to say this earlier, but our mailbag is iron at gmail.com. If anyone else wants to write in and we'll work on answering those questions over the next couple of weeks. All right, Haley, safe travels. Good luck. Bye Alyssa. You have been listening to the iron women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadesky. Iron Women is a production of feisty media and is edited by Amelia Perry and produced by Ellen Titian. Head
1: to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.